Welcome in. It's the start of the college basketball season, and I just wanted to put together a few notes because the early slate isn't that exciting, but I wanted to touch on a few things as college football is winding down, NFL starting to head towards playoffs, NBA is already started, and I just wanted to tackle a few of the key games on the slate for the next couple weeks here, heading into the week of Thanksgiving where things kind of pick up. So to start off with, Monday, November 7th is when the season officially started, for those that didn't know. It's obviously not really high-pointed or promoted very well, but uh, I wasn't able to put together a slate of what I consider top games for the evening or even for the week as I realized just how non-competitive the schedule was. Michigan State actually plays three of the first five really impactful games of the college basketball season as they play just a loaded schedule early. But to start off with, on the 7th year, this past Monday, all top 25 teams were in action. They were all playing home games. None of them were playing Power 5 opponents. They were all playing pretty easy squads, really. The closest spreads were number 20, Alabama, minus 16 against Longwood, a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year, I do believe. Number 7, Duke, was minus 15.5 against Jacksonville. Number 22, Michigan, minus 15.5 against Purdue-Fort Worth. Villanova, minus 15 against LaSalle. And number number 14, Villanova, number 15, Auburn, was minus 10 against George Mason. All the other 20 games had 20-plus point spreads. Now, even in those close ones, Villanova didn't cover. It was about a 13-point game there, 81-68. Auburn ended up winning by 18 over a good George Mason squad there certainly covering their 10 points. I watched a bit of number one North Carolina beating UNC Wilmington, 89-56. to Their returning four starters, of course, still look like a good ball club there. Number nine, Creighton and their young squad won 72-60 over St. Thomas, Minnesota. Virginia won by 13. So can't take a whole lot from opening night as everyone's kind of getting adjusted, especially college kids. This obviously isn't pro leagues here. But uh, just not a lot happening on opening day. However, TCU was ranked 14th. They were down 11 at the half to Arkansas Pine Bluff. And they were down late, too. They had to go on a 7-2 run with a minute 30 left to survive 73-72 in that ball game. And they just couldn't shoot the ball. 38.9% from the field, 18% from three, 71% on a whopping 38 attempts there at the free throw line, which was crazy. Arkansas Pine Bluff only had 10 attempts, 10 free throws. So just wild there. They did have nine more three-pointers on the Pine Bluff side to kind of keep them in the hunt there, and they just couldn't quite pull the upset against TCU. Now, Ken Palm, since uh, on Tuesday now, just after the results of this game, has TCU 30th in his rankings and Old Pine Bluff there is 357th out of 363 teams in Division I basketball. That's uh, 327 teams in between those two in the rankings. So it's just pretty crazy that Pine Bluff was able to go in there and hang. 
Now we had a few other Power 5 teams that we don't expect a whole lot to happen with this season that were in close games. Arizona State pulled away from Tarleton, 69-50, a 62-59 three-point game. DePaul pulled away from Loyola, Maryland, 50-70, oh my, 72-66, a six-point game there. Missouri over Southern Indiana, 97-91, just a six-point win there. Boston College and Cornell, Cornell's not actually a bad team out of the Ivy League there, just a two-point win for Boston College. Minnesota over Western Michigan by one. Oregon State over Tulsa by three. Loyola Chicago isn't quite going to be the NCAA tournament team that we've expected years past, and they had to go to overtime to beat Fair High Dickinson, 88-82, to and they're somewhere, somewhere down there in the 300 rankings as well. Now the upsets that we did get. Sam Houston beat Oklahoma 52-51. to Oklahoma's 36th in Ken Palm. Sam Houston is 139, so maybe a sneaky, uh, decent squad there. Florida State lost to Stenson 83-74. That was stunning. Stenson is 274th, according to Ken Palm. Florida State a little bit lower, 87th. Of course, that's post-game results, so I think they dropped a bit there. UC Davis beat Cal 75-65. These two are only six spots apart now in the rankings. Davis is 167 and Cal 161. And Florida Gulf Coast over USC. I was a little shocked by this one. USC is 57th. Florida Gulf Coast in Ken Palm's ranking is, is uh, 210. So another big one there. Again, Florida State and USC I thought were the two shocking losses. Oklahoma and Cal. Uh, Big 12 is always competitive. Oklahoma, I haven't taken a full look at their entire roster yet. Um, but Cal... Not a lot expected from that team this year. So a few upsets that were a little shocking there. But no one in the rankings going down, even though TCU tried real hard to tank. Now, Florida Gulf Coast led by 20 points at one point against USC. This was a horrible shooting game for both teams, but USC ended up with more turnovers. Only shot 66% from the free throw line, 15% from three. Florida Gulf Coast wasn't much better. 37% from the field, 29% from three. But USC, man, supposed to be at least in the upper uh, section of the Pac-12, along with Oregon, UCLA, and a couple other squads there. And that was just just a horrid way to start the season for the Trojans. The only decent game on paper was Vanderbilt hosting Memphis. Now, Jerry Stackhouse, of course, going into his fourth season there at Vandy, he took his team to the NIT quarterfinals last season. Penny Hardaway in his fifth year at Memphis. They lost to Gonzaga in a tight game in the second round. Third round of 32, I was it was last year, I believe. Now, no Amani Bates or Jalen Duran there at Memphis. No Scotty Pippen Jr. there at Vanderbilt. But a senior-led squad by the Tigers, with led by uh, DeAndre Williams, with 17 points and five boards. And uh, last year's American Conference Player of the Year, Kendrick Davis, also had 16 points and four assists to help the Tigers to a 76-67 win. Again, not a, a big youth movement there last year. Amani Bates is back at Eastern Michigan, and uh, just a good win for the Tigers there. They are 28th currently in Ken Palm. Vanderbilt is 74th. So I'm not going to keep reading numbers off here, but just worth it, I thought, uh, on opening day to kind of show where the projections are at least uh, just the day after as far as the discrepancy in some of those teams in the large gulf and competitive level. 
Now, there isn't much to see this Tuesday, November 8th, as I'm recording, obviously with all the top 25 teams playing the other night, and college teams don't play back-to-backs. Purdue's playing Milwaukee, South Carolina is playing South Carolina State, Georgetown playing Coppin State, I guess those are the highlights. Detroit Mercy is hosting Rochester. We'll touch on Detroit Mercy and Anton Davis in a moment. South Carolina has a 6'9 freshman in Gigi Jackson that turned down North Carolina to stay home and play for the Gamecocks. And he just kind of reminds me of every year it seems like the SEC has a top player that kind of stays home and goes to a, a team that ends up struggling through the SEC conference but is worth flicking on and watching on TV. Certainly, LSU had Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards went to Georgia, and those are the two that came to my head right off the rip. So, uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. was at Vanderbilt for a few seasons, so he wasn't a one-and-done. But just seems like there's always a team towards the bottom of the conference there that's got a top prospect that's kind of dragging them to a few wins, so... Not that that isn't the case at a handful of schools every single year, but the SEC in particular seems to have a, a guy every year that's a top prospect that stays home and uh, makes it worth watching some of those teams hanging out towards, towards the bottom of the conference standings there. So Tuesday, not a whole lot going on here. Wednesday, November 9th, Seton Hall, Louisville, LSU will all be playing Louisville lost to a D2 school in an exhibition game, so nothing is really a given for them. Each team's allowed two exhibition games or scrimmages or a combination of those two under the NCAA rules as they're getting ready, ready for the season. That's why there's some reports leaking of Tennessee beating Gonzaga in a secret scrimmage game that came out last week. But there aren't uh, necessarily full games with the same rules when they do that. They'll try different lineups. They won't necessarily run Full quarters, to my understanding, not the same structure of, of games and all that, So, but that was a, a big note that came out. Nevertheless, the cards did get cracked by a D2 school, and they open up against the Bellamere Knights, which is a, a decent program. They're only, only, gonna, only going into the third season as a D1 program, and they're prohibited from making the NCAA tournament, which is a really stupid rule, because they won the auto bid last season and couldn't go. Now, they were second in the regular season of the uh, A-10 there, not the A-10, the A-Sun, and they won the end-of-the-year tournament. But because there's this dumb rule, which they appealed and lost the appeal, that says you can't make it for X number of years, which includes this season and I believe next year, it says you can't take the auto bid and go to the tournament if you're a new member. And someone else is having or had that problem as well. Uh, it's just one of those dumb, dumb college rules. So instead, Jacksonville State won, who won the regular season conference title, and they went instead. But my point is, in all this, is they're bringing some pieces in. They have a few pieces left over. The Bellamere Knights could possibly be a sneaky opponent for Louisville. So don't be surprised. I'm not saying watch the ball game, but I'm saying don't be surprised if it comes across your sports center that the Knights slay the cards. Now, LSU is going to be this year's version of a last season's Iowa State and Minnesota's teams to some extent. A new coach coming into a situation where most of the roster is transferred out, so he has to rebuild. They will um, probably win a lot in the non-conference. SEC play will be a bit of a question mark. 
Where it is different is in the experience and how um, the coach here, Matt McMahon, was a, a coach at uh, Murray State formerly. So it's kind of he's kind of transferring a non-power school into a power school. So he had a lot of success for there at Murray State. A couple, I think, 31 seasons. He coached John Morant a couple years back. He's bringing three players with him through the transfer portal. I believe they'll all be starters at this point. So it's really bringing a good chunk of like a Murray State kind of team into the SEC. He's got some top four and five star prospects, some freshmen that are going to be infused into the program as well. A couple transfers from other programs um, will be coming in. So it's going to be an interesting little concoction he's whipping up there as far as roster construction. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what else you can do, quite frankly. Um, not sure it'll involve a whole lot of winning in a, a feisty SEC that's uh, usually pretty big around the middle and has one, maybe two teams that are looking like Elite Eight squads. It's not every season it looks like you know Kentucky or somebody's going to win a national championship, but the bottom usually doesn't have, uh, isn't very clear who's a bad team in that conference. You know, Vanderbilt isn't necessarily the worst team and um, Old Miss, you know, so when you're looking and trying to pick out who's clearly the worst team in the SEC can be very difficult, but LSU by default in uh, all the turnover there and all the kids entering the transfer portal after Wade's firing last season, this team will be a candidate to finish towards the bottom, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of happens there. And when taken in the context of kind of transplanting a man with a lot of success at the level he did and kind of bringing a bunch of his players over and building around that with star freshmen and stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see what what he's able to accomplish there at LSU in his first year. Now, tomorrow, Thursday the 10th, as you're hopefully listening to this, a lot of ESPN Plus games and not a lot of interesting matchups in general. FS1 will have some of the Big East games. The Big Ten Network will have some matchups. Number five, Kansas. Nine, Creighton. Twelve, Texas. Thirteen, Indiana. Twenty-five, Texas Tech will be in action. Some of the unranked teams, uh, Ohio State, Maryland, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, Marquette, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is supposed to have a a good freshman in there, so maybe they'll kind of make their way up towards the top of the um, ACC Conference again this season. At 10 o'clock, Vermont at St. Mary's play as the Catamounts travel to the other side of the country to play the Gals over there in a matchup of potential NCAA tournament teams. That'll be a good one. I don't have a network for it yet. I'm not actually sure if it'll even make it onto TV, but Vermont is averaging 27.4 wins over the past, I said five years. I threw the COVID season out since that's really, really screwed things up. So over the past six years, the five full seasons I'm including in there, they're winning 27.4 uh, games per season. They finished with fewer than 20 wins only three times the past 20 years, and that is including the COVID year where they only played 15 games. And they were still first in the A-10, A-Sun Conference that season. Now, St. Mary's is averaging 26.6 games over that same six-season, five-full-season period of time, throwing out the 2020-21 season. So that means these two combined are averaging exactly 54 wins per season over that past five-full-year period. And how many did they combine for last year? 54 on the dot. They might very well hit that number again this season. So Vermont and St. Mary's at 10 o'clock on Tuesday shouldn't make it onto a television. 
Friday, November 11th. Officially, our big college basketball game will be on. The first date you really need to pay attention to. Pretty much ignore everything else uh, up to this date if you want to. And everything else on this date other than Michigan State and Gonzaga will be on ESPN at 6.30. Not 7, not 7.30, 8, 9. If you don't flip it on until 7.30, they'll be in the second half already and you'll miss a good chunk of it. Now this is on a boat in San Diego, California, aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln. MSU and the Zags have already revealed their special uniforms, similar to what MSU North Carolina wore in the 2011 aircraft carrier game. They look pretty cool. Hopefully Sparty won't get drubbed as bad as they did in 2011. The team with Draymond Green, Keith Appling, Brian Dawson, the late Adrian Payne, who went up against Harrison Barnes, uh, John Hansen was named the player of the game. I was rewatching the highlights. Of course, he went on to be a Milwaukee Buck for a brief period. And I remember that um, the Bucks then went to clear him out because he was a true center and they wanted him out of that team to route, allow Giannis to operate more effectively in the paint. So he was actually a man that was um, short-lived in his time in the NBA as we uh, quickly moved into a uh, a more spaced out position in the NBA. Nevertheless, 10 years, a lot can change in that time. Kendall Marshall was also on that team, one of the Zeller brothers, Tyler Zeller. Now the Zags um, are bringing back a lot of talent, infused a lot of talent, and beat the hell out of their opponent on Monday night. Uh, North Florida, I believe. Michigan State played North Arizona and still managed to have a only nine turnovers, but still more than Northern Arizona. And the Gonzaga Bulldogs played Northern Florida. And they shot 61, 63% from the field, 38% from three, 81% from the field, uh, field, you know, the free one line, and uh, put up over 100 points. So still inferior competition on both ends, but um, for both MSU and Gonzaga, but Gonzaga looked hella good in their victory. So hopefully we just get a good game this, uh, this Friday night. It'll be special. It'll be great in pageantry. Hopefully we have some fun, keep people, uh, in the courtside seats as well. I hope it's just a good game. I hope we don't have the awful glare from the lights coming down onto the kind of glossy court. That was a problem last time. It was hard for the players. I think in real life, it was certainly hard as hell to watch on your television. Uh, precipitation was a problem last time, a wet court. Hopefully we don't have wind or fog or anything like that. Uh, I realize it is California. I see a, like a slight breeze and cloudy skies for this Friday, so hopefully we'll be in good shape. But um, the lights, I just remember the freaking lights on that game. So hopefully it is a good ball game that we can uh, enjoy visually. There are actually three other games worth noting on Friday. Now, the first one is actually at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on the ESPN Plus ACC Network Plus, whatever the hell that is. Detroit Mercy at Boston College. It's one of the few big games, one of the few big teams Detroit Mercy will play all season, and it's stuck during the damn day with limited accessibility. Antone Davis is a fifth-year senior at Detroit Mercy. He was in the transfer portal this past offseason briefly, but stayed at Detroit Mercy. His dad's the coach. I have been keeping an eye on him since his freshman season because he was one of the best three-point shooters in the country. 
Now he's grown from an off-ball player to a point, a point guard and just a, a focal point of the offense there. Now it's prohibited his efficiency as everything really evolves around him and that offense. And if he's off the court, which happens very rarely, I think he was around, wasn't he around like 38 minutes played out of 40 minutes per game last season? Something wild. But he's 22nd in Division I all-time scoring. Way up there on the list. 2,734 points, and he could climb all the way up into the top 10, even higher than that this season. He's averaging 23.9 points per game last year. Third in the country, and it was the lowest season average of his entire career. His It was fourth on his list, all-time list, because <laughs> he averaged 26.1 points as a freshman uh, and 24.1 Last year, I think, a 24-point-something else in there, his sophomore year. So third in scoring last year, yet it was fourth in his personal best scoring seasons. That is insane. Now, if he goes at the same pace as last year, he could actually shoot all the way up to second in all-time scoring, I believe. If he hits 80 more threes, he'll break Flitch McGee's mark of 509 set from 2015 to 19. That was the Warford kid. Now, the extra year of eligibility helps him to continue to move towards those marks. But he's still playing. He still has 20 fewer games on his ledger than McKee does due to injuries and various tournaments and things like that. So it's not that he's logging so many more games than everyone else. But an extra year of eligibility and access to more playing time will obviously allow him to roll up those numbers. He is four-time first-team All-Horizon League. Again, 22nd in D1 scoring right now, 13th in three-pointers made, and can continue to shoot up those lists. So 1 o'clock, unfortunately, Boston College. Just it's one of the better opponents that they'll play this season. In the, the, what conference is that? Whatever conference that is, their Horizon League. There we go. And uh, they don't do a whole lot of winning, unfortunately. But that's the 1 o'clock ESPN Plus, ACC Network Plus this Friday. Also, number 20 Kentucky is hosting Liberty at 8 o'clock on ESPN Plus. The Flames are a top 100 team, according to Ken Palm right now. The Tide are a really good run-and-gun three-point shooting team. I mean, when things go well. When things go south, they can lose to better teams. They were 3-for-28 against Longwood in the opener. Now, that's tied for 78th in attempts on, you know, a one-game sampling size. But that was 321st in make percentage. So it's literally served them better in that game to just stop shooting the three ball, just to stop shooting it. So they'll improve, but they can't have a horrible shooting percentage against a better team. And then finally, at 1030, also in San Diego, ironically, number 19 San Diego State is hosting BYU. Just a better basketball game than football game this season, for example, between these two teams. BYU's still uh, looped in the top 60 there. They have a Fiasi Torian, a big, big kid. A couple, one of the two returning starters there for just a good squad that wins. Again, 20 plus teams in the WCC. It's them and St. Mary's always fighting behind uh, Gonzaga in that conference there. They bring in some freshmen as well. They'll be transitioning to the Big 12 next season, and um, so they'll have they'll have a good team here to try and make 
uh, a run at an NCAA tournament bid in uh, San Diego State. Dark Horse Final Four team, possibly. So, altogether, there'll be 16, 20 total teams uh, from the top 25 in action. Only a few good games, but that is for this upcoming Friday. With so many teams playing on Friday, that doesn't leave us a whole lot for the weekend slate, which is fine because college football is finishing up. Nevertheless, on the 12th here this Saturday, now at noon on FS2, St. Peter's is playing at Seton Hall. It's one of the few games worth mentioning with Shaheen Holloway playing his former Elite Eight team and players with his new squad, his new boo. So there you go, Seton Hall and St. Peter's. And uh, I don't think this will be a particularly close game, but it'll have a whole bunch of, of storyline attached to it there. Now, Louisville, Rutgers, Georgetown, LSU, Providence, Washington State, Wichita, VCU play. You don't want any of that. So just not much going on Saturday at all. Sunday at 2 o'clock on ESPN, number 11, Tennessee is hosting Colorado. Now, the Vols took 44 three-pointers in their opener and crushed Gonzaga in a scrimmage. That's about what we know at this particular point. Is this their year? Who knows? But you can flip over from watching your Sunday red zone to watch a couple of minutes of this game if you do wish. Um, so Tennessee on there. Again, Iowa State, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, George Mason, Vermont, St. Mary's, Virginia Tech all playing, but just not a whole lot going on Saturday and Sunday. Monday, the 14th, number three, Houston, number five, Baylor, number eight, UCLA, Creighton, TCU, Villanova, Virginia, Illinois, Texas Tech will all be in action against inferior opponents. We will have a new AP poll at this point, so some of the rankings may have changed if there's a big uh, change up there or, or upset or something like that. At 8.30, Penn State is hosting Butler on FS1. It's probably the best game of the slate, unfortunately. But again, if you have a chance to flip over and see how one of these teams look early, that's what will be on your schedule. Tuesday is the next date you need to be aware of, the 15th. We have our slew of unremarkable games, uh, North Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Oregon, Dayton, San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State's traveling to Stanford. That could be an interesting game, possible upset. That's on at 9 o'clock on the Pac-12 network, though. Not very accessible there. The big billing is going to be the State Farm Champions Classic doubleheader on ESPN. That is, of course, the games that are already, already getting hyped up here. Number four, Kentucky and MSU at seven, followed by number five right now, Kansas, and number seven, Duke. It's unfortunate the college basketball season doesn't start with a bang with a doubleheader like this. It's also unfortunate that Oscar Sheboy for Kentucky has been recovering from some kind of, kind of mystery surgery that hasn't really been clear what's going on with him. He missed the opener. He might miss a couple more games. Not sure on the timeline for his return, so he might be out. Kentucky had a couple other guys sitting out for the opener as well. Not sure what's going on there. Don't get a lot of information out of Calipari. Hopefully we get whoever can play available for this game, but it's tough because we may have no Ashibwe and no Bill Self for Kansas, who is suspended for the first four games of the year after the NCAA just gave him a a slap on the wrist for rules violations stemming from years ago as they've taken their sweet time looking into a number of different allegations 
some of which are now legal, I believe, with NIL. And um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It takes them so long to look into things, only to come down with, with virtually very little repercussion. So he could be without a top player and a top coach for what's billed is basically the opening doubleheader, you know, slate to start the season here. But we'll get to see a lot of young guys early in both of these games. How will John Schreier and the uh, Duke Blue Devils do? They look solid the other night in their opener, winning that boss basketball game. Again, I think they had the number one recruits and three of the top ten recruits in the country. I can't name match all of them to their number spot right now, but a lot of great freshmen in that recruiting class. They came in post um, Chashevsky, of course, so that'll be a good Duke team there. Kansas still rebuilt. Some new pieces coming into the rotation for Michigan State. And for Kentucky, they will have a couple freshmen there, hopefully, and they have some seniors as well. So depending on who's healthy for that team, We'll see, I guess. But just a, a nice doubleheader there on a Tuesday night, as we're kind of familiar with. This has been going on for several years now, so nice setup there. Now, Wednesday, next Wednesday, the 16th, not a lot happening. Uh, number 22, Michigan, is playing Pittsburgh on ESPNU. You have to remember how awful uh, Pittsburgh has been recently. I don't expect that to be much of, much of a game. However, at 9.30 on ESPN2, should you be up, Number two, Gonzaga is traveling to Austin to play number 12, Texas. Gonzaga playing a loaded non-conference schedule to try and offset the kind of poor WCC conference we've been talking about there outside of BYU and St. Mary's. Not a lot of strength of schedule build up there. So they'll be playing. They, of course, have Michigan State as well. Those two teams in a five uh, spread there, Texas and Michigan State. So to kind of help boost the resume, Chris Beard brought in some more talent to that Texas team, trying to steady the ship there after not meeting overblown expectations last season. So that's a great game, road game for Gonzaga, traveling down south to go play there. That's an ESPN 2 930 on Wednesday, arguably the fourth biggest game of the year. And it's pretty bad. You can number them off um, nine days into the season. So on that day, Houston, Arkansas, Tennessee will be in action. Ohio State with a young team. They'll probably be one of the first teams with a possibility to break into the top 25. Notre Dame, St. Mary's. Iowa and Stenson play at 7.30 on FS1. That could potentially be interesting. Uh, the Hawkeyes went from Luke Garza to Keegan Murray to now maybe Chris Murray or Pat McCaffrey is the next great star, although Tony Perkins looked pretty good in the opener too. All the starters uh, put on a, a nice display. Iowa. Seton Hall, FS1 on 7.30. Detroit Mercy will also host Iowa at 7 on ESPN Plus if you want to catch Anton Davis again. And finally, at 10 o'clock, San Francisco and Fresno State will battle. Uh, a couple teams, I believe they're inside the top 100 right now. Non-Power 5 schools. I can't see Fresno State really making the NCAA tournament. Mountain West's probably a two-bid team. It looks like Wyoming and San Diego State have the best chance to make it in, possibly an IT team. Just a couple of fringe, interesting teams playing each other, San Francisco and Fresno State, only have such a disparity in uh, opponents in the game so far, so just worth noting. Now Thursday the 17th, we start getting into a lot of the early season tournaments. 
that continue to roll on through Thanksgiving and kind of throw off, you know, we get them during the day, we get them throughout the afternoon, during the week, all over the board, and it's kind of discombobulating, but it overlaps with Thanksgiving and gives us something to watch. So those kind of games start on Thursday, November 17th, and a lot of these tournaments, they're damn near impossible to keep track of. We have the Sunshine Slam. We have the Myrtle Beach Invitational. We have um, the Charleston Classic, the Legends Classic, the just, I don't, I've got six more pulled up here. Paradise Jam, Basketball Hall of Fame Showcase, Gavit Tip-Off Games, which I think is just the name of the Big Ten Big East Challenge. But they're in the mix there. The Pink Flamingo Championship. That's that's the name of the, the Bahar Bahar Hoops Tournament. The Owl Invitational. The Cancun Invitational, I believe it's called. The main event. The Emerald Coast Classic. And some of these are just four teams coming together in two games. Just a doubleheader. Some of it's an ongoing tournament. If you win, you play the next day in advance. And it's over all kinds of stretches of time. A Friday, Saturday, Sunday. A Friday, Saturday. Take Sunday off. Play Monday. Just all kinds of stuff. So at least for Thursday and Friday here. So for Thursday, let me get that here. So I have Murray State at Texas A&M picked out on ESPN2. That's at 4 o'clock. There'll be days going throughout the or games going on throughout the afternoon. Uh, Texas A&M won the NIT tournament. Uh, this will be one of their maybe one of their first tests. Again, new coaching staff there, some players leaving, but uh, ESPN two accessible game there. That's the Myrtle Beach Invitational game. One of them. Five o'clock. South Carolina's hosting Colorado State on ESPNU. That's the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic Triple C's. And at 6.30, St. John's is hosting Nebraska on FS1. A couple games there that are more interesting on that particular slate. We do have like Kentucky, TCU, Creighton, Marquette, Arizona, Loyola, Chicago in action as well. Now at 7 o'clock is one of these. We have on, it's on ESPN2. It's the Legends Classic. It's a double header. Now Michigan, Arizona State, VCU, Pittsburgh, or as I accidentally typed instead of Pitt, Piss, are all going to be the participants in a doubleheader. And I think it's just two games. The matchup just hasn't been decided. So it's either going to be Michigan and one of those teams, and then the other two play on the back end. And Michigan's the best team there. So I'm not sure it's going to be an interesting uh, setup there. Now, Friday, it's a little bit more... Well, it's probably the most interesting day we have so far. So the games will start at noon on Friday, the 18th. So you can watch all throughout your workday, have that on the background at noon, two o'clock, five o'clock, one after the other. The winners from the Myrtle Beach and Shiner's Charleston Classic, whatever that is called. Shiner's Charleston Child's Classic will be on. And most have some decent participants uh, in the, the one we have Furman, Penn State, Old Dominion, Virginia Tech, Colorado, uh, that's the Colorado State, South Carolina, Charleston. And Davidson, so it's not a top-notch team. Maybe I don't know if Davidson's the best team in there. South Carolina, not just interesting teams 
on a lower level. No one's going to the NCAA tournament. Maybe you have a couple NIT teams in there, but it should be competitive. It'll be interesting to have some weekday games going on kind of in the background. If you're fortunate to work from home or able to take a break and watch some basketball, I just think that's fun. Myrtle Beach has Charlotte, Boise State, Colorado, Loyola, Chicago, UMass, uh, Murray State, Texas A&M, and Tulsa. So the winners of some of those previous games will be participating throughout the afternoon on Friday. We also have the Basketball Hall of Fame Showcase and one of the Gavit tip-off games. So at 5 o'clock, we have Temple at Rutgers on ESPNU. And at 6 o'clock, here's a nice one. Number 13, Indiana at Xavier on FS1. Xavier could be a dark horse to win the Big East this season, so that's a, a good game in that Big East, Big Ten crossover there. We also have number 18, Virginia, at number 5, Baylor on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock. Massive game there. Finally, not only a good competitive game, but a game between a couple of ranked teams. Let me see. Yeah, after Kansas-Duke, I think this is only the second ranked matchup between two ranked teams on the schedule. There's a couple other notables here. Notre Dame hosting Lipscomb on ESPN Plus and the ACC Networks at 7 o'clock. Lipscomb could win their conference. Interesting there. That feisty Vermont team is playing at Iona at 7.30 on ESPN+. Plus. Iona, Mr. Patino's over there in that group. That's his second season over there uh, with Ionia and the Gales. And uh, they just missed the NCAA tournament last year. I believe they won a conference championship, but they lost the auto bid and did not have a strong enough resume for an at-large bid. So... Interesting non-power uh, conference matchup there. At 8, Michigan State is hosting number 16, Villanova, on FS1. Of course, Michigan State now playing Gonzaga, playing uh, Kentucky, and playing Villanova to open the season. Just a tough schedule there for the Spartans, who could start out 0-3. 8 o'clock, George Mason's hosting Boston College on ESPN3. George Mason could win their division, uh, their conference as well. Florida, Florida State play on the ACC network at 8 o'clock too, and a rivalry there, although we saw how Florida State performed in their opener, not so great. And at 9.30, number 8 UCLA is uh, playing number 23 Illinois on ESPNU. So just a great nightcapper there. So your doubleheader uh, is number 5 Baylor, and number 18, Virginia, and on the back end is number 8, UCLA, and number 23, Illinois. But on top of that, you have Xavier and number 13, Indiana. You have Michigan State and number 16, Villanova, and just a nice mix of other games in there as well that start at noon on Friday the 18th as we really get into the college basketball season there. And again, we have games in those tournaments and, and stuff during the weekday heading into the over the weekend and in through uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving. So it really kicks into gear there next Friday, the 18th. But I just want to give you a little, little peek, see what's happening there. Other teams in action that day, Kansas, Auburn, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, USC, but it's just a loaded slate there. So the big games, again, going back over the slate there, Gonzaga and Michigan State for this upcoming Friday, the 11th. After that, you have the doubleheader, of Kentucky and Michigan State and Kansas and Duke 
next Tuesday, the 15th, followed by Gonzaga and Texas on Wednesday, the 16th. So those are kind of your key dates there. And then finally, Friday, the 18th, everything kind of breaks loose and you're going to get some real basketball games on the schedule. So there you go. I just wanted to kind of walk through what we're looking at as far as schedule-wise for the college basketball season to start so far. Hasn't been particularly exciting, but we're starting to ramp up a bit. Still worth watching. Again, I watched a little North Carolina the other night. Duke's got some nice, young, fun players. Arkansas will be interesting to see. It might take some time to meld there. Michigan looked stiff the other day. Hunter Dickinson, when you see him in there, I can see why he returned to college not just because of the NIL deal, uh, but there's lots of talk of bigs having troubles making the leap to the NBA and um, watching NBA games for the past two weeks. Now watching Hunter Dickinson there, I cannot see him in an NBA uniform, but that's what I'm working on my own self scouting. What kind of players do I think will make the transition to the NBA? So keep an eye out, enjoy the watching and I'll talk to you later. All my blessings, all my blessings.